Congratulations, Lime Fighter. Today you had the courage to open your eyes and face another day. Welcome to Lime Voice. This show's purpose is to help you put the puzzle pieces of Lime into place. Each episode is designed to inspire, educate, and encourage you on your Lyme journey to wellness. Together we will fight. Together we will heal. Together we will live. Here are your hosts, Aaron and Sarah Sanchez. Wishing your doctors could communicate and come up with a cohesive plan specific to your medical needs and genetics? At Invita Medical Center, they offer a team-style approach giving you the opportunity to heal. In addition to a commitment of providing radical love and care for their patients, they are strategically located in sunny Arizona because Arizona offers the best integrative medical laws in the country. Call today to speak with one of their patient care coordinators. You can find them online at invita.com. Hello, friends. So glad you're here with us again for another wonderful episode of Lime Voice. As always, I have my beautiful wife, Sarah Schlichty Sanchez. Hello. So, today we have Heather Getty. Now, as far as I understand, this is an episode we have wanted to do for a couple years now. Yeah, Heather and I have had so many conversations, and we get to the end and we're like, ah, oh, we should have recorded it. <laughs> Yeah, I know. And it is really a great conversation. And, and it is a unique story with Heather and us, Heather and Adam and us, in that they have been on the same journey, but about, what, three years behind us? Yeah, give or take. Give or take. It's been interesting to watch them, and it's been fun to be able to ex- share with them what we've learned as we've gone. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy this episode. So tell more about it. Yeah. And this episode goes in line with what my goal was for season two. And one of my goals was to go deeper as far as there's so much, there's a wealth of information for everyone who has gone down this journey. And I've been wanting to pull that out on a deeper level. And so one of the goals that I had for season two of Lime Voice was really to go deeper and just to focus on and pull out the wealth of wisdom that different people have accumulated over X number of years in this battle. And so this really goes in line with that. We interviewed Heather on the documentary that we did. If you have not seen our documentary called Disappearing from Society, sign up for a newsletter. It'll get emailed to you instantly. It's a great 20-minute documentary just about life with Lyme, and we interview Heather And so this is just more of her story. You saw her for about one and a half, two minutes on the documentary, but this is definitely more of her. And within the documentary, at the very end, we say, it will take great courage to liberate yourself, but I promise you that it's a worthy endeavor because you, my friend, are worth fighting for. And those like three sentences are some of my favorite in the whole documentary because it's powerful because it's true. You do have to be courageous and not get trapped by fear to keep moving forward. And I feel like Heather embodies that concept. I have seen her. She has a much more passive personality than I do. And I have just seen her and I've worried about her because of that. Originally, she wasn't a fighter. And even as we were listening to it, I was telling because we always do the interview and then we come back and listen to it. And as we're listening to it, I told Sarah, 
she's spunky. <laughs> she wasn't always a, this little fighting girl. You know, she was kind of a passive, oh, if things are too hard, there's no way I'm going to do it. And we talk about that in the interview. But it has been really cool to see her turn into this little fighter. And she's ready to, to tackle the world now. And I think it's because she got a hold of the fighting mindset because yeah. fighting is a mindset. And we've talked about this in other episodes, but we also Heather and Adam as a couple also went through G5T, which is the financial intelligence course that my dad teaches. And for them, it's had just as much of an impact on their marriage as it did for us. And it's also helped their marriage heal in the aftermath of all the financial chaos. Yeah, because within G5T, and you guys have heard us talk about G5T many times, but with it, mindset. I mean, if you could sum up the whole thing, the whole educational course, it's your mindset that moves you past the financial places you are. It moves you past the healing. It moves you past the parts of your life that you're not comfortable with is you have to have that mindset that I'm going to fight for this no matter what. Yeah. And I think I hadn't heard you use the word spunky, but that like totally describes her now. Yeah. Little curly haired spunky. <laughs> she wasn't always that way. No. So enjoy the episode. It's, there's just a lot of wisdom and some of the best parts are at the end. So stay yeah. tuned all the way towards the end. It's worth it. Enjoy the episode. We'll talk to you soon. Welcome, Lime Voice listeners. Once again, we are coming to you with Heather Getty. Um, Heather and Adam have been great friends of ours for many years, and they also have a whole bunch of kids just like us. In fact, how many kids did you bring with you today, Heather? Five. Oh, you only brought five today? Yeah, only five. One of them is in another state. (laughs) And we have our four. So there's... We have nine kids in the house. So if you hear voices in the background, that's why. And two dogs. (laughs) So anyway, like I was saying, Heather and Adam have been great friends with us. And they've kind of walked along the same path that we have. And so we're going to get into that and and talk about some fight, heal, living attitudes that they've done. And it's going to be fun. Yeah. Heather and I met each other when we were 12. We went to the same church and had different groups of friends, but really became good friends after high school. But I think one of the things that has been so unique about Heather and I's relationship is that we've had all these very similar experiences over and over again. We bought houses back and forth or right by each other. So our kids would jump back and forth over the wall. She watched me go downhill physically all those years and be laying on my couch. And we've homeschooled together at different times. We've worked together at different times. And then... You know, a few years ago, we both found out we had Lyme. And so we've had that journey as well. So, Heather, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. We finally did this. We've been talking about it for a couple of years, two years, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I've had this interview in my head for a couple of years. And I think one of the things that I feel so fortunate is that I've been able to all the way along, I've been able to have these conversations with people and Not a lot of people get to have someone understand what they're going through. And you and I have said so many times, nobody understands us. That's probably one of the worst things about it is just dealing with chronic illness is the fact that sometimes even in your own family, people that love you, people that are the closest to you don't really truly understand sometimes for a while. Or ever. It can be hard. <laughs> yes, or ever, which is so great that you guys are doing this because people need to know that they're not alone and 
there's hope. And I think that's one of the best things that you guys have done with this podcast is to give people hope that their situation is not permanent and they can change. And even if they don't feel like they have the support from their immediate family, there are people out there that they can connect with and get support. Yeah. So I want to start with just talking about a really key conversation that Heather and I had back in 2013. And I had basically been in bed all of 2011, all of 2012, horrendous pain, horrible fatigue, started dealing with a lot of neurological issues, but I'd had a herniated disc that I had to wait for surgery. And after the surgery, I felt okay for a few weeks. And then that's when the Lyme just became uncontainable for me. And at that point, I feel like I can't remember the time frame, but it was at least six months where I was just so tired of fighting to try to get answers and then thinking that I had come up with some answers and they all cost a lot of money. And so I felt like I was fighting the physicians in the office. And then I felt like I came home and I was fighting with Aaron, not fighting, fighting, but I just didn't have anything left. I couldn't emotionally, I could not handle any more conflict, any more pushing. And Heather called me at one point in spring of 2013. And she said, my kids are asking me if you are going to die. And I can no longer tell them that I don't think you're not going to die. Yeah, it was awful. We're watching this decline with you over the years. And I do remember my kids asking me that. And I felt like I really couldn't give them. Honestly, I couldn't say, I remember they asked me if you were going to die. And I said, honestly, I don't know. Yeah. But what was so key about that conversation, and I've referenced it so many times, is I had really resigned myself emotionally. I felt like I'd done everything I knew to do and I didn't have anything left to fight with. But when you called and had that conversation with me, Basically, what I did is called my parents and sat over at their house. And I mean, they saw it. My mom and dad came over consistently a couple times a week to help in whatever way they could. They saw it, but again, had no idea what I was up against. They're like, what's wrong with Sarah? Okay, she has fibromyalgia, but that was it, you know, and chronic fatigue. But they had no comprehension, nor did I, of what was really going on. Yeah, we kept expecting you to snap out of it, to go through the episode and be done with it. And it never ended up that way. It just kept downward spiraling. And one thing would lead to the other and its symptoms weren't getting better. They were getting worse. Yeah. And so that conversation for me triggered us finding Invita Medical, which was huge. It triggered, I finally had found a diagnosis, but I felt like that conversation was so important because she brought something to light that just in the sense of, hey, you need to fight. And that's what it did is I went to my parents and my parents were like, okay, let's figure out how to do this. But there's so many people out there who don't have someone to make that phone call for them. So what would you tell people, Heather, who you feel like have resigned? And it's hard. When you're fighting for a decade or two, it's insane. Yeah, for you, I mean, you you don't even realize, I think, because you just deal with little things over the years. For most people that are dealing with a chronic situation, it doesn't start out in a crisis. It starts out with headaches or some nagging pain that's not debilitating or just needing to nap or whatever. And over the years, you just kind of lose more and more of your freedom and your ability to function. And 
And then you just get stuck and you don't really know what to do. I mean, it was so frustrating. I remember just watching all of you and thinking, okay, what is going on? Why can't the doctors figure out what's wrong with you? (laughs) Why can't, you know, I think at that point you had even already gone, done some dietary things and different supplement things and physical therapy. And I remember you were every week you would say, well, I need to take this medication and I need to walk more or I need to do this and that. And it was just so frustrating because, you know, yeah, you were trying to do everything you knew to do and it just wasn't working out. And I think sometimes when you're in the middle of the crisis, it's really hard to have the perspective that you need to realize how serious things really are. Because it's not like a car accident where one day you're walking and doing normal things and taking your kids to school and the next day you're in a wheelchair. It's not like that. And so you, I think, From my perspective, I remember thinking, why isn't Aaron doing anything? You're clearly like you can't even function anymore. Why aren't your family? Why aren't your parents? I knew they all loved you. And I think that they were frustrated too. I mean, I know they were, but I think it's hard because when you're the one in that situation, other people don't really know how bad you're really feeling on the inside. They can see some of the effects, but I remember even talking with your mom once and she said, we just didn't understand. You would say things like you couldn't walk, but then the next day you would walk. But that day when you said it, you really couldn't walk. <laughs> and so they were confused too. It's so, I mean, it, it is just a mind boggling thing. And when you don't have that perspective yourself and you know your cognitive ability is going downhill, your emotional ability to deal with the pain and try to solve this problem and figure out what's going on is, is difficult. And I know I've talked to countless people since then, they kind of end up in the same boat. They always say, well, my family doesn't understand. And it's hard. You almost can't unless you're in that situation because it's an invisible illness or really any kind of invisible illness is that way. You just, it's very difficult to convey what's really going on and to be able to have the strength and emotional clarity needed to get yourself out of that on your own. It's difficult. Yeah. And I know for me, I actually had, I think, two separate times written up an email and sent it out to both of our families and Mm -hmm. a few close friends, basically just saying, like, we desperately need help. Like, someone bringing us the meal is not actual help. Like, I need help just to survive and keep people clothed and fed. But the hard part was I got almost no responses from those emails. Almost none. Like the people who were helping us continued to help us, but it didn't generate any additional help. And that was so defeating for me because it like took so much effort emotionally to reach out and tell these people who were close to our lives, hey, we desperately need help. And then to not get any type of help from it made me never want to ask for help again because it's just hard. Like people don't understand. Well, I mean, it was hard for you as a sick person to understand. So even not being the one that was sick, it was even harder for me to kind of understand what was going on because I'm watching the same thing. I mean, and you're living it and you're still having a hard time grasping what's happening. So, I mean, not to point fingers at any one person in the family or even our friends, it's just it is an evil and disgusting disease in that it robs so much. It takes so much from you that you don't even realize it's much like the frog boiling in the pot of water kind of situation where it just, before you know it, you're, you're cooked. (laughs) Well, and I remember, you know, when I first started dealing with issues years later, 
I would remember things that you had said. Yes, I want to talk about that. <laughs> Tell me that conversation. You guys were living in Maryland at the time. You'll have to remember. So, yeah, <laughs> that, actually, we've had a lot of conversations. Um, which one? So, you called me. You were in Maryland. And you had basically been unable to get out of bed because of headaches and extreme Mm -hmm. fatigue. You felt okay when you were pregnant with Hudson. I know what you're talking about now, the conversation. Yeah. So you called and you said, I find myself saying all the same things that I've heard you say, but I didn't understand. And I think even at that point, did you even have a diagnosis? uh You didn't. So I think at that point we had lived near each other for a while. I had seen you kind of have this downhill. We ended up moving away. We still kept in touch and were talking. And and at that point, after we moved, I really started having my symptoms and trying to figure it out. So we were kind of on this parallel path. You were a few years down the road, clearly, symptom-wise. But I was starting to, and, and I would remember just Things that you had said would come back to me because I was saying the same things. (laughs) And I remember when we had lived together and I knew you had a headache and, you know, we'd say, oh, yeah, send your kids over to play. Feel well, you're having a headache or whatever. But I had no clue, really. It's it's more than just a headache. (laughs) But at the time, you just didn't understand. I remember almost feeling guilty because I didn't help you more when we had lived near you. But I remember thinking, I'm one of your closest friends and we live literally next door. And I didn't understand the full extent of what you were dealing with. And again, it's really hard when you don't have a diagnosis and you just have all these vague symptoms that so many people deal with. And you might have some surface labels like fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue, but you really don't have those are just kind of nebulous. You really don't understand the full grasp of of Lyme when you have those just surface things going on. Yeah, I remember talking to you. I remember saying something like, I remember one point I was laying on the floor in my kitchen trying to tell my oldest daughter, who I think was about 11 or 12 at the time, how to fix dinner because I just couldn't get up off the floor. And I remember you had said something similar about something, and I couldn't remember what the situation was, but where you just felt like you were being pinned down or all your energy, like a magnet, I think was how you described it. You're like, I think I feel like there's a magnet pulling me to the floor. And that's how I felt. I remember I had just had a baby. And so for me at the time, I was thinking, well, I just had a rough pregnancy delivery situation. Um, We had just moved. Of course, that's stressful. Just all those things. So I kept looking to those peripheral issues. But that really wasn't normal. But at the time, I didn't know what else to think. And so Yeah, things that you had said coming back to me at that point, and of course, neither one of us really knew what we were dealing with (laughs) at that level. But yeah, I remember just thinking, oh, okay, this must have been what she was talking about and being able to relate and think along those same lines. And so then let's fast forward a couple of years. You guys move back to New Mexico and you find out you're pregnant again. Surprise, surprise. Number six. Number six. (laughs) And you are not healthy. You still do not have issues. Yeah. Yeah. Having a lot of issues. Still don't have any type of a diagnosis beyond fatigue and headaches. Mm -hmm. But you had had those for years. I had pretty much. I feel like I dealt with headaches. I remember getting a lot of headaches even in high school and just not ever being a super go, go, go type of person, I guess. So I don't really know how long 
of course, I've had it by the time I found out. You know, I don't remember like you, unlike you, I don't remember a bite or a rash or any particular point in my history where I can say, oh, my decline just seemed super, super gradual, like over years and years and years, struggling with different issues and kind of always thinking, oh, well, I'm a new mom, so... Of course, I'm going to be tired. And I do remember many times just thinking, gosh, how do these moms do all of this? I always felt overwhelmed by things that other parents didn't seem to be overwhelmed by. And now looking back, I think, gosh, I wonder if I've ever really not lived with some level of disease affecting my life. But I don't really know because I don't really have anything to compare it to. So yeah, pretty much I remember having chronic headaches in high school. And almost every time after I had a baby, I dealt with horrible fatigue and horrible headaches, just kind of general infections, mastitis, things like that, that would happen very frequently. And yeah, once we moved back, I believe right before we moved back, I had cut out gluten. I had done some dietary changes and temporarily saw some improvement in a lot of areas. So I kind of thought, I remember you did the same thing at one point, but it was the same thing. I thought, oh, I must just be gluten intolerant. This, you know, what is gluten? And so I kind of dived into all of that and sort of reading books on gut health and trying to research and figure it out for myself because thus far, the few doctors and medical professionals I had been to really couldn't find much. I was just kind of told I had candida because I had been on a lot of antibiotics during my pregnancies and I kind of already thought I had that anyway. But really just trying to figure it out was difficult. And then after I had baby number six was really when things started getting worse. I felt temporarily just a tiny bit better. I think maybe from the time she was about six months old to 12 months. Which is so common. I mean, I see people with fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, do okay when they're pregnant. And then Mm -hmm. after they quit nursing or after the delivery, they crash. Yeah, I think I had that temporary protection or whatever. We've talked about that of your hormones or your body just when you're pregnant. It kind of goes into protective mode. So even though I, I did have a difficult time with her pregnancy. was kind of fraught with complications the whole way through. Thought I was going to lose her in the beginning. And then the delivery was rough and the recovery afterward, just so many different things. And I remember thinking at that point, something is wrong with me. (laughs) Like not, and I knew it had, it didn't have anything to do with just getting older or the pregnancy itself. But that was really the first time that I was had the mental clarity, I guess, to effectively identify there's something else going on here besides just the pregnancy-related issue. And I know at that time, like, you were really diving into a lot of nutrition stuff. Oh, totally. Homeopathy, different things like that. But I think what's so fascinating, and I want you to talk about it, is, and I can't remember if it was 2014, I think. Is that when you got diagnosed? Mm -hmm. So you were going down, down, downhill. You have six kids. You have homeschooled for all these years, and yet not a lot of school is happening in the sense of you're sick for days on end and can't get out of bed. And so from my perspective, I'm now watching you just go further and further downhill. And so I think I started begging you. (laughs) At the time, the only place I knew of to get an actual diagnosis was through Invita because it's a clinical, Lyme is a clinical diagnosis. So you have to bring all these factors in. And so I was begging you, please come with me. And you're like, I don't think it's Lyme, 
But and so I think that's what's so hard is even though like we've both watched each other go downhill, cycle through cyclical issues, and yet really our symptoms still look very different because mine was pain, like my Mm -hmm. most horrendous symptom and you had no pain. Not really. I mean, really, my two biggest, I guess, pain symptoms would be my headaches, which That was painful. I increasingly was having migraines and sometimes they would last for days instead of just eight hours or 24 hours. Sometimes I would have headaches for like three days straight that were not going away despite Motrin or anything I was taking. And then I had developed a little bit of joint pain, but it wasn't debilitating. And I think that, yeah, one of the reasons aside from the fact that people just don't know enough about Lyme in general. And what they do know is very, you know, the little textbook page that says, oh, if you get bit and you get a rash and you suddenly have an onset of flu-like symptoms, then you have Lyme disease or really bad joint pain. And I really, at that point, didn't have any neuropathy. I didn't really have horrible joint pain. I remember just thinking, I'm getting older and I really need to exercise a little more. Like I remember going up the stairs and thinking my hip is hurting. What did I do to my hip? But it would kind of come and go. It would be there for a few days and then it would leave. The headaches and the fatigue were probably my two biggest symptoms that continued to get worse despite dietary changes, despite supplements, despite whatever I was doing. And then I was getting some feedback that I was nutritionally deficient in certain areas despite supplementation. So I was doing the six months of green smoothies every day with tons of spinach and I was still deficient in iron. I was still anemic. I was still all those things. So I think that it just kind of took a while. But I remember when you would tell me about I think you have Lyme. I think because our primary symptoms were different a little bit and you had headaches, but you didn't seem to have what I had. And because I'd already, they'd said, oh, you have candida. I kind of thought I just had this gut dysbiosis, which I did, but that was not the primary reason. Yeah, I didn't remember a bite. I didn't remember a rash. I didn't remember any time in my life where I suddenly, you know, had like flu-like symptoms or anything like that. So I think because of what little I knew, I was just going based off of that. And so it took me a while to really realize that there was a lot more going on because chronic Lyme is looks very, very different from an acute infection also, which I was not aware of. So yeah, part of it is just ignorance. Wouldn't you say though, when you're dealing with those symptoms and you keep making these dietary changes, now I noticed this with Sarah, but didn't it make it almost feel like it was in your head? So when you keep trying things And that only adds to the problem. It's just another insult to the whole injury is... A little bit, yeah. Because especially for me, I did not grow up eating healthy food. I did not understand what healthy was. We had soda every day, pizza on Friday night, donuts for breakfast. You know, many times I'd run out the door to school and I had eaten a packet of instant oatmeal and hot chocolate, or if I ate breakfast at all. And I would get a Snickers at the school on my lunch break or something. I mean, really, I ate horribly. As I kind of delved into nutrition and just I had to completely change my whole entire everything I knew about what constituted healthy food. So as I was looking back on all this, I kept thinking, oh, my goodness, no wonder I'm a train wreck of spent years on antibiotics for different things. You know, we always just ran to the doctor when we were sick and got on antibiotics for whatever. So I'm looking back over my whole health history now that I'm learning all this stuff and spending years reading and researching and all of this. So initially, I kind of thought, oh, if I can just exercise 
more, get back into exercise. I had periods of exercise, but not really anything super consistent and change my diet enough, then I'll be able to beat this, whatever this is. I'm just getting older. I need to really focus on eating healthier. And I did. I went gluten-free and sugar-free. Then I took it a step further because the headaches were coming back and not going away. I went grain-free, basically paleo. I was doing, like I said, the green smoothies every day. I was supplementing with all these different things to try to fix it. And everything would help for a very, very brief period, like two months. Three months max, usually. And then you're right back at where you started. And then slowly things would start coming back and or new things would start popping up. And so really what what did it for me was finally feeling like I was doing everything I knew to do. And I'd been doing it now for close to two years, I would say, at that point. And two things, really. I remember I was the day I was jumping on the trampoline with one of my kids. And I mean, and I say jumping, but I really wasn't, I was hardly even moving. <laughs> I think I had like the two-year-old or something. And I was barely, my feet weren't even leaving the mat. We were just kind of roll slowly, almost like rebounding motion. And when I had this horrible twinge of neck pain that I'd never experienced before and I got off and I remember I was like in a chair for three days. I couldn't even move enough to go to see a chiropractor. And you came over and you're like, oh, that's a Lyme thing. Or maybe it was you that told me. I just remember both of you. And I think that happened. And then it was like a few months later, we went to visit relatives and we came back from a trip. And did you fly? We did fly. Yeah. Flying is always a problem for people with Lyme. (laughs) Then we came back. And right before we left, you know, we'd been with cousins and son's family and we, the kids caught like a little 24 hour bug thing and they were all on the floor, ran into the bathroom or whatever for 24 hours, like a normal thing. And then they got through it. Well, I was sick for about three days before we left. And I mean, so sick, I could hardly get out of bed. And I remember thinking, okay, I just need to be, I have to get home. I didn't even know if I was going to be well enough to fly, but I did. I think it was just God's grace. I cleared up. I got home. And within about three days of getting home, it completely, like I relapsed and the stomach thing came back and I was in bed for three weeks. And that really was kind of what sealed it for me that there was something really wrong. Like, again, I was doing everything I knew to do. At that point, I'm like, okay, there is something wrong with my immune system. I cannot fight off this basic thing. And it was things like that that had been happening at that point for probably two years where I'd had these little ups and downs, but a general overall decline. For nearly two decades, Invita Medical Center has been leading the way with the latest in personalized treatment options designed for patients dealing with Lyme disease complex. At Invita Medical Center, they offer a team style approach and the latest technology regarding treatment and testing at an unmatched, radical love and care environment for their patients. Call to speak to one of the patient care coordinators today to learn why hundreds of patients choose Invita Medical Center each year. You can find them online at Invita.com. From the creators of Lime Voice and disappearing from society comes a brilliantly simple idea. But this time, it comes as a voice. Imagine a world in which birds can talk like people. You'll get a bird's eye view of life with Lyme disease 
as one bird family must unite to overcome the obstacles of life with Lyme disease. Guaranteed to make you laugh and cry. Written in a way that helps you articulate the losses you are experiencing as a household while simultaneously empowering you to keep fighting. Little Bite, Big Trouble is available today at Amazon.com. So let's talk about from this point forward, I want you to talk about you and Adam, because being married is hard <laughs> when everything is going well, or it's challenging and difficult. Yeah, and you got to work at it. Okay, that's a good way to say it. Yeah, you have to put effort into it. And from my perspective, as I'm watching this, I'm like, Adam has no clue what's actually going on here. Kind of like I was. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think most spouses, and I, I've even met a lot of men who their wives they're the men where the you know the guy is sick and their girlfriend or wife doesn't get it but yeah i think generally men tend to not understand these things very well it's just because i think they're just kind of used to fixing fixing things yeah this was unfixable and it was frustrating for him but there's a lot of other factors going on because you have kids who are needing to be schooled and or taken to the dentist and or all those Just things. Just life parenting. Yeah. With a big family. So how do you and Adam sit there and have that conversation? Because there's a lot of people listening who are at that point of like knowing something is very seriously wrong and not necessarily knowing how to move forward without help. Because I saw you take control of your health. I felt like I saw you pick up the reins and start saying whether he gets this or not, I'm moving forward. Do you remember a moment or something that you said or like, when did he he get it? When did he have his aha moment? And now I know there's different levels of aha. Oh, yeah. Because I, 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 I speak from experience on myself. Like there was. Finally got it two months ago. No. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Last week. No, yesterday. I definitely feel like there was a place of probably easily six months after. I remember just and I remember thinking that and I got to backtrack a little bit. So. Once I, he clearly knew something was wrong. So I finally listened to you and you said, hey, I'm going out to Invita. Just come with me and get the testing done. And I did. And that was when I found out, you know, for sure I had Lyme and mycoplasma and all these other things. But it probably wasn't until the following July of 2015. I remember thinking even that. So from that fall was about October to then where I didn't even fully grasp what was going on, what needed to happen how long this was going to take, all those things. That was my aha moment, I guess, or that moment when I knew things needed to change. And for him, I would say it took even at least six months after that because I remember, you know, people from work asking how I was doing. And initially we had found a doctor in DC and had started treatment out there. And they had recommended that it would be a year and a half to two years of, of treatment. And someone had said to us one time at work, oh, well, you know, at least it's only a year out of your life and then you can, you know, just get back into things. And I remember thinking in my head, like he kind of nodded and agreed. And I remember turning and looking at him like, what are you, why would you agree with that? This has not been, you know, at this point, we'd already been struggling for years. And I think somewhere in the middle of that year, I knew there was no way 
This was getting resolved in one year or two years. And on top of all of that, about four months after I had been diagnosed, my, I think he was 14 at the time, or 13 at the time, son had also started having issues and we got him tested and he was diagnosed positive with Lyme. So now we have two of us and there are some of my other kids that are starting to have some issues and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, somewhere in there, and I don't know if you want to get into all that yet, but somewhere in there we were, you know, learning about congenital Lyme and what that means and passing it to your kids. And we were going through the same stuff. It was sobering. I mean, I just remember the weight of how are we now, you know, I felt like we were barely dealing with my issues in all possible ways, financially, physically, emotionally. And now I have children that also need treatment or at least one for sure. And honestly, I think because we were in very much of a survival mode situation and he has a military background, he's a firefighter, he knows how to just turn off emotions and plow through a very dangerous or scary situation to get the work done or to save the day. And I think it was very difficult because that did not apply to our lives at this point. It was very difficult. I remember him getting angry sometimes and I... I think he didn't even know what he was angry about. It was just, it was so hard to watch his wife decline. He struggled with it for a long time. I remember feeling the, that same way. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a common thing. And even, I think that, like we were saying earlier, a guy's perspective, you know, usually the guy is the one that's a protector of the family, the one that has to plow through. And when that doesn't apply... It is really hard. And especially for a guy like Adam, who was special ops, military and firefighter, he's very much one of the heroes of our society. And to come home and not be able to handle just normal everyday stuff is really, really difficult and really defeating and really... He couldn't fix it. That was really the bottom line frustration that I think he... The conclusion he finally came to was, how do we fix this? Yeah, because I think you can put your head down and be deployed for three months. And you kind of know, you know, he's always had this mentality of when something is hard, you put your head down, you know, it's going to suck for a while and you plow through it and you know you're going to get to the other end. But that just doesn't apply to this. There's so many unknown things. It was taking too long. <laughs> you can only keep doing that for so long. The longevity is really The longevity tough. is really, you have to look at it more like it's a war. It's not a battle. It's a marathon. And I remember you telling me that one time. You said it's not, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And it really is. I think having that grasping that, shifting over from everything else we know about dealing with whatever. I can't even think of a good analogy at the moment, but you know, you kind of deal with a broken arm per se or something where it has a definitive time set to it. And I think that is probably one of the most difficult things about Lyme is that nine times out of 10, it does not have a definitive start. It doesn't have a definitive end. (laughs) And Along the way, you may find out, oh, especially in a family, you have other other kids, other people that come up with issues and you kind of repeat this whole process. So I think one point we have a mutual acquaintance and I remember after you got diagnosed, you know, she had known my story and she said, oh, well, you have Sarah to talk to. So that's great because she can help you like, oh, she's been down this journey. You guys are friends. And both of us just saying like almost irrelevant. Yes, I did go over and say, here's how to do coffee enemas. I did go over and say, "Okay, here's how to juice. But you had to find a physician that 
could treat you. And it's just so different for each and every person based on your location, based on your resources, you know, all that stuff. But I feel like something that I've watched happen with you is your mindset changed. Because I remember talking to you at the beginning, and I get this because it's so hard. You're super sick. And I'm basically saying like, okay, the only way I know how to get better is to do all these things every day. And I remember explaining it to Adam because you were in bed. Like, okay, here's how you make a coffee enema. Here's how you juice. Like, And I had like written up some instructions. And he had said to me at one point, like, well, what do you do all day? Like, I don't understand how it can take like what you do all day. And then after he's trying to then wrap his brain around it for you, he's like, oh, like I had no idea the amount of labor and time and resources it takes to implement even the things you know will help. Yeah. And I remember when you, I think we had gotten, we were maybe when we had gone to the trip to get the testing done and you were like, oh, you need to start doing coffee enemas. And I remember thinking, that is utterly disgusting. Why would I do that? I just don't even, the things that that we have had to do (laughs) to get to where we are. I think that somewhere in there, and I I think because kind of my background and my blueprint growing up was things are hard, things are too expensive. If something is difficult, you choose the easier path. That was kind of the environment that I grew up in. So I, of course, came into this very I was thrilled to have a diagnosis to finally know it was wrong. I was also completely overwhelmed by it because I had seen you almost die. I knew I didn't want to die. So I was very motivated to do whatever I needed to do. (laughs) However, that being said, we didn't have the resources to go out to Invita, either physically or financially. So that was not an option. I remember just the overwhelming nature of now you have to find a physician who's not in your state or a treatment center which I feel like is very, very common. You're almost really lucky with Lyme if you know someone that you can deal with. And then, okay, now we're looking at years of all this different thing. I mean, it throws your whole world upside down. Of course, I was already eating very healthy, so I didn't really have to change that too much. Now it was just, oh, you maybe should juice every day and you got to add in all this detox stuff and everything else and a ton of medications and supplements. And I was motivated to get better, but I feel like I was still very operating out of a scared mindset and a, which I think everyone is kind of in the beginning. I was very scared. I felt very clueless as to what I needed to do. And yeah, even just you coming over and telling me, hey, you need to do all these things. And I remember thinking, how can I do this and try to take care of myself and take care of my family? And you really can't. At a certain point, and I mean, the only way we survived, we had help. Of course, we had to family come and help us. And my husband took a ton of time off of work. The fire department donated to him. We did fundraisers to help pay for everything. I mean, it was just the enormity of everything was just, it was overwhelming. But yeah, I do remember at a certain point where I think it was in July and I had been doing treatment for about six months. And I remember I Still was pretty much feeling miserable all the time. I really couldn't function. I was, I think it was 4th of July. I was sitting out on the back porch in my pajamas watching the fireworks and I was just crying and I couldn't even, because I don't think I had showered in three days because I couldn't, I didn't have enough energy to shower, but I wanted to be out there and be with my kids. And 
I was trying to enjoy it, even though I felt horrible and I had a headache, of course, and just so much. I wasn't cooking. I wasn't doing it. We were just barely surviving. And, you know, initially we were just kind of trying to navigate all of this going, well, how long can we realistically do this without having to uproot our family and move because we don't have any family that lives near us? So all the help we got was people flying in to help us. And of course, we've already had our life completely turned upside down. And now we're looking at potentially moving. And I remember every time I would bring that up to Adam, he would just get really upset. Like, no, we're not moving. We're just going to, we'll deal with this. We'll take care of it. We'll press on. And I just remember thinking there is no way that this is going to keep working. And I do feel like something, and I just feel like God was telling me, (laughs) you need to just lay this down. I was trying to figure out how I was going to work it all out in my head, how we were going to pay for the next thing, how we were going to, do we put our kids in school? Do we hire a tutor? Do we move? Trying to just scramble and work all that out in my head. And I felt like at a certain point, God just said, you need to lay all this down at my feet because I'm going to lead you out of this. But you need to change how you're looking at this whole thing and you've got to rise up and fight. And I felt like there was a very different mindset that needed to happen. And it might seem kind of contradictory to say, lay it down and fight. But at that point, I was sort of like trying to do it all. Like, okay, if I can just do everything that the doctor tells me to do. And I like to follow the rules. So I'm reading all the books. I'm doing everything that I can do. Of course, I wasn't really even juicing most of the time or doing that. My husband and my kids were doing it for me or people that we had help us. And I remember thinking, I'm doing everything I need to do. And the doctor had called and we had had an appointment and they said over the phone, they said, well, we just want you to be prepared because this next round of treatment, you're going to feel worse. And that for me was kind of the breaking point. I was like, no, I can't feel worse. I already feel horrible. I already can't do anything. You know, I'm watching my family fall apart because my kids are worried about me dying and my kids are, we're all just in total survival mode. My husband's trying to work two jobs and take care of me at the same time. So as you can imagine, everything is really deteriorating. And I just got to a point where I was like, God, something needs to change. This isn't going to keep working. But we were really just kind of just doing everything we knew to do. And I kind of thought it was going to get better. At that point, it wasn't better. And so I feel like at that point, there was somewhat of a releasing like okay, even if I die, even if our relationships fall apart, I kind of had to just let that go and make peace with it. I don't know. I imagine if you're on a boat that's sinking (laughs) and you're trying to do everything you can, and at some point you realize that this boat may go down. And I kind of just had to make peace with that, if that makes any sense. I just felt like I did. I had to let it go and say, okay, Lord, I trust you, even if this ship sinks. So quick bailing the boat and getting to the life raft. Is that about what happened? Kind of. Like I said, I think that shift in my mindset happened at that point. Now, Adam didn't have that yet. Well, I felt like I could visibly see it because when we would have conversations, you would say, I can't do this. I can't do all these things. I can't blah, blah, blah. And I totally got that. I totally understood. And yet... I think it is a laying down and then also rising up and fight because I saw you just start to do more than you had ever done. Like your productivity increased. You found supplements that were working really well for you, but you 
I don't know. I I don't even know how to articulate it. I felt like I just saw this whole shift with you where you weren't saying I can't. You were saying, okay, I can't do that five days a week, but I can do it three. And so therefore I choose to do this. I think in that whole thing, I remember just there was a lot of freedom and just laying it down and saying, okay, yeah, I can't do this. I don't have the money for X, Y, Z, but I felt like God was saying, okay, do what you can do and follow me. I'm going to show you the way out. So I did. I laid it down. I started thinking it was definitely a mindset shift. Absolutely. And I don't believe that I would be where I am today if I hadn't made that. If I hadn't said, okay, I believe that I'm just going to, I don't know, it's hard to even put it into words, but there was an absolute shift in in that thing. And just recognizing that I was going to put forth what I could do and that was going to have to be good enough and kind of just trusting God to work in that situation. So I did. And part of that was starting to think for myself and advocate for myself and go, okay, I'm not just going to blindly follow everything the doctor is telling me to do. I'm going to research and figure out what else is out there or what else I need to do in order to heal. So I did. I mean, shortly thereafter, I did. I started taking some other supplements that really helped me. Several months later, I had seen such huge improvement. I decided to quit my treatment (laughs) with my doctor, which I remember some people were thinking I was crazy. And at that point, I just felt like that was part of that mindset was I'm going to trust my body and what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking, I the direction I need to go. And also just believing that it was going to get better. Because until that point, really, with my mindset, I was totally panicked and just thinking, this is it. This is the end. And I think because I was scrambling so hard to hold on to that, it almost backfired in that I couldn't really be at peace and focus and move to where I needed to go and think outside the box. And I think a lot of us, when we get diagnosed, we're just in that place of we're scared. We want to do whatever the doctor tells us to do. We, I don't know, there was kind of an inner peace that happened that allowed me to refocus, reset, shift and go, okay, this isn't the end. And I remember one of the things I did was I wrote out on little cards and said it every day, I am going to make a full recovery from Lyme disease and several other things that I would write down there. And just, I just started reading books about that. I really had to learn to become a different person in order to survive. And I just felt like that was all God leading me to that. Yeah. So in conclusion, let's talk a Mm -hmm. little bit about daily declarations and how those impact. Because any book on success or self-improvement will talk about daily declarations. And that is exponentially harder (laughs) when you are fighting for your life. And yet that's that key, most important time when you have to say, not talk about what I'm dealing with. I'm going to talk about what I want to come into my life. And I feel like declarations enable you to do the impossible. You know, you girls were facing impossible circumstances. I mean, most people would say you have how many kids? That's impossible to do already. (laughs) And you're homeschooling and you're doing like, you know, so most people at that point, in fact, that was kind of a crutch of the doctors kept using. It's like, oh, well, you have lots of kids. That's why you're so tired. Yeah. Well, regardless, we still have to move on. And I think daily decorations are the things that enabled you to do the impossible. So it's so important, even if you don't feel like you can do these things, and sometimes it is a fake it till you make it, but other times it is a declaration of what you want. Even though you don't know how, it is a declaration of what you expect your day to become. And you don't always see the end of that when you're saying them, but it helps. 
and it, it's borderline magic. Totally. <laughs> because I think, you know, for me, I would do a lot of it internally. And somewhere around 2014, 15, I started doing a lot of declarations out loud. And a lot of them didn't come true for a couple of years. But as I improved, I would hear myself saying my declarations out loud and they were coming true. And I was like, oh, I'm so thankful I started doing them. Yes, it took two years for that thing to become true, but it was two years of speaking, not what I had to deal with, but about speaking of my future and how it was going to change. And you and I have talked about that a lot. One of my declarations has been, I will not be defeated by Lyme. Instead, it will become my greatest opportunity. And I didn't believe it when I started saying it, but I wanted to. And so then as these opportunities have come, whether it's the book or documentary or other opportunities have come, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I've been saying that. I really think that mindset is the one thing you need in order to heal. It's not having the right diet. It's not having the right doctor. It's not having the right resources because how many of us are fortunate to have all that magically line up when we're sick? Almost no one, if anyone. And we've seen people who have all that and Mm -hmm. still can't get past it. Yes. Because they were lacking, just like you said, mindset. I've met people too that they go from one thing to the next. When you have a very fearful mindset or a doubting mindset, Whatever patho treatment you choose, you need to believe wholeheartedly that it's going to help. And I have seen people go from one thing to the next and they don't get better. And I really think that or they don't make any improvement or very little. Your mind and your heart are so powerful. If there's one thing I can convey to people, you have to start there. Because if you don't have an open mind and an open heart, you will not make the progress that you need. We're a very skeptical society. We want to will believe it when we see it. That is exactly the opposite of what you need in order to get better. One of the books that I had read early on, he doesn't have Lyme disease, but he has a pretty amazing story of overcoming. His name is Hal Elrod, and the book is called Taking Life Head On. And he talks about being in a car accident and how he was told he would never walk again. And years later, he was running marathons. And the one thing that defines people who overcome, whether it's a chronic illness or a financial disaster, it's their mindset. And I think that especially with Lyme, it's just so important because you can't, you can't get better if you think, I've had people say to me, well, there's no cure. So what? There are countless stories of people that have been diagnosed with things or were crippled at birth and then they're in the Olympic. I mean, it just, the stories are out there. The Human mind and the human heart has an incredible ability to overcome things that are in the physical realm. And if you don't have that, you cannot get past your situation. And I've also thought it's always like riding a bicycle. You have to stay focused on where you want to go. If you're riding a bike and you're looking behind you to where you've been, you're going to crash your bike. You're never going to get where you want to go. And even though you're not there yet, you have to believe that if you keep pedaling and you keep your focus on where you want to go, that you'll get there. I just I firmly believe that. And so with me, one of the things that that really changed was, okay, I'm not going to have a skeptical, fearful, doubting mind. I'm going to have a confident, sure, I'll try this new thing. Sure, even though on paper, 
I can't physically do everything I need to do in a day, I'm going to believe for miracles. And I am going to do what I can and let God fill in the blanks and do the rest. And that really is because you can't. No one can afford Lyme disease. No one can. You know, for us, we had to figure out lots of different things. And we are still in many ways figuring things out. But I have seen so much progress in the last two years that isn't humanly possible based on what everybody says, based on what doctors say, that sort of thing. So I think that it really does start with your mindset. And one of my favorite verses, too, is in Hebrews 11. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I believe that if you truly embrace what that means, you have to believe for things that you don't see if you want them to come forth in your life. So you keep believing until you see it (laughs) and you keep pressing forward until you see the progress come. So yeah, that has been just super important. And there's another wonderful quote that I love by Henry Ford who says, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. I've met so many people that say, I can't do that. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. Or I can't change my diet. That is just, oh gosh, that's too expensive. Or I don't want to do a coffee enema. I remember a gentleman talking to me about it and he goes, I don't want to do that. And I was like, none of us want to do any of this. Like, Who wants to do these things? That's so irrelevant. Crazy. Yeah, Yeah, it is. For me, though, I think, you know, having that fighting mindset is like I wanted to be there, of course, for my kids and my husband. But ultimately, I knew I had to change who I was in order to survive this. It just kind of came down to that. And I think a lot of us do. Because I actually believe now one of the reasons you get sick in the first place is partially your mindset. I know that sounds weird, but I think it's, it's true. Though. I think it's true. It is I true. Just I mean, do. that's what we've experienced in healing and mm-hmm. in realizing where we're at. Like there was just finances or health or whatever. Often our mindset mm-hmm. are the result. And it is. It's a hard it? pill to swallow when yeah. you feel like life has been deeply unfair and cruel. <laughs> Yeah. And to not sit there and dwell on that, but to say, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm no longer staying in this position. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to change my mindset so that I can make the choice to heal. Mm-hmm. You know, we say fighting is a mindset choice or uh, healing is a choice. And it is so true. You wouldn't think that you had to choose to heal yourself, but It really is. And the deeper we look into these things, the deeper we examine these things, even this conversation today, healing is a choice. Or it consists of choices. It consists of choices. Yeah. It does. Absolutely. I think that that's just something that's hard initially to grasp in the beginning, but the longer you go on with it, you realize so many things are choices in all of this. And some things you can't control, but there is so much you can. You can control your attitude. You can control what you say. Yeah. Words are a big deal. Your words are really powerful. The way you speak to your family, the way you choose to focus and what you've been, the cards you've been dealt, what you do with them is up to you. Yeah. Heather, where can people find you? Tell us about Um, Vibrant Health. I'm on Facebook. I have a health group on there. It's called Vibrant Health, obviously. You can find me on there. I'm on Instagram also, just my name, Heather M. Getty. We have a website, but it's not quite up yet. So one of those places. And if you want to hear more of her story, because you're actively, you're not 100% healed yet. You're dealing with it still. I would say that I am about 
80 to 90% better than where I was two years ago. So you're moving forward, but... Yes. I have made a lot of progress in so many areas. I don't say that I'm 100% in remission and neither with my kids, but we have made just... I can function for the most part. I don't cry when my husband goes to work for three or four (laughs) days anymore. And yeah, I don't deal with daily migraines. I don't deal with daily fatigue. I can get through my day. I've taken back over everything in my home for the most part. My husband still does run a lot of errands and he cooks sometimes because he likes to, but I don't have to have him do it to survive anymore. So going from being pretty much in bed and unable to do hardly anything to where I am today. And for the most part, I've done that naturally. I haven't done... Yeah, you have not done it. I was only on... Well, I was, but briefly, just for that about six, seven months, somewhere in there, doing the antibiotics and meds, and then kind of switched over to natural things that have been working really well. So kind of continued along that path. And I do believe that I'll be in full remission at some point. I don't know when, but I do believe that that is coming. Go check out Vibrant Health and see some of more more detailed information of the different supplements you use, some of your some of your daily decorations and and some more details that we couldn't talk about here. I know it will help you guys. I mean anything that's helping anybody, I'm interested in. Yeah. And I think it'll be worth your time to to do that. And check her out on Instagram at Heather M Getty. Well, thank you so much, Heather. Thank you. Wishing your doctors could communicate and come up with a cohesive plan specific to your medical needs and genetics? At Invita Medical Center, they offer a team-style approach, giving you the opportunity to heal. In addition to a commitment of providing radical love and care for their patients, they are strategically located in sunny Arizona because Arizona offers the best integrative medical laws in the country. Call today to speak with one of their patient care coordinators. You can find them online at Invita.com. Disease is contrary to life. Therefore, wherever disease exists, life must also fight to exist. Good job fighting, Lyme fighters. Keep it up. We'll see you next time. Lyme Voice contains general information about medical conditions and treatments. The information is not advice and should not be treated as such. Okay, Lincoln? Okay. The medical information on Lyme Voice is provided as is without any representations, warranties, expressed or implied, okay? Okay. Lyme Voice makes no representations or warranties in relation to the medical information on this podcast. You must not rely on the information on this podcast as an alternative to medical advice from your doctor or other professional health care provider. If you have any specific questions about your medical matter, you should consult your doctor or other professional health care provider. And for you, you consult your parents, okay? Okay. If you think you may be suffering from any medical condition, you should seek immediate medical attention. You should never delay seeking medical advice, disregard medical advice, or discontinue medical treatment because of information on this podcast. Got it, Lincoln? Got it.